two important introductory comments. As the psalmist in Psalm 139 would remind us, there are times when words seem to fall short in being able to describe the wonder of God's saving grace for us. And yet music, in some mysterious way, has this ability to still carry the gospel word home to our hearts, even so. And so it is with this towering text for us this day from St. John's Prologue, where I'll be uh, pressing one of Johann Sebastian Bach's concertos into the service of this word. And so, due to music copyright restrictions, there will be three times during the sermon, three slices where those of you in our telecast or broadcast this morning will only be hearing silence and so perhaps use that as a time of reflection. And secondly, I encourage everyone to follow with me in your Bible. Um, for those of you looking on at your pew Bible, that's page 86 in the New Testament, this prologue of John, John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, who is the Word made flesh. Amen. Three years ago at Christmas, Kathy gave me this marvelous book by John Elliott Gardner, a world-renowned scholar on Johann Sebastian Bach's music and his life. It's entitled Bach, Music in the Castle of Heaven. It's a veritable tome. Uh, she gave this to me about three years ago. It's taken me four years to read it. I finally finished it. Talk about a cerebral hernia. <clears throat> Well, now to the fun part. At the same time I was finishing this book on Bach, I was beginning to listen in and study this, as I call it, this towering text in John's gospel at the very beginning, John chapter 1, often referred to as the prologue. So as I was finishing the piece on Bach, I was beginning this reflection for today. As many of you know, one of the musical structures for which Bach is famous is the art of counterpoint. And amazingly, so it is, I believe, in St. John's Prologue, where I also began to hear something of a counterpoint as well, of two distinct yet related voices, singing back and forth, expressing the dynamics of faith as musically expressed in the second movement of Bach's concerto for two violins in D minor. Martin Luther, as many of you are aware, is rather famous for his little observation that next to Holy Scripture, music deserves the highest praise. And so I think we're in good stead here with Uncle Martin in... Uh, bringing music once more into service in worship and into the service of God's Word. Now, the first voice in St. John's prologue is one that is angelic. It's 
angular, like the voice of a Vienna choir boy, pure, serene, as from on high. It's a poet's voice, mysterious and cool, of cosmic proportion. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The first word is not so much read as it is heard, sung as it is spoken. It's more of a hymn than a homily. It's a voice from the ancient of days. When God sang creation and time itself into being. Before nothing was nothing and something was something, before there was ever a then and an afterward or a now, before there was any sense of a here or there, but only the sound of God's voice breaking the silence as at the very beginning, in the beginning in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so we hear this wonderful counterpoint within Scripture itself, in the very beginning in Genesis, and here in the very beginning in John's Gospel. Now, the second voice is rather plainer. It's earthy. It's rather insistent, and sometimes, as you're going to hear in a moment, interrupting. It's more subdued and darker. It's a voice not so much poetic as is the first voice, but the second voice is more in prose. It's to the point. It's a voice that's trying hard to get everything that's kind of rough straight. Thus, this down-to-earth second voice plays counterpoint to the first voice that alights from heaven with spirited wing. And so in a kind of Largo-like tempo, the point is clear. This troublesome confusion about just who is this Messiah? Well, it's not John the Baptist, no matter the rumors. No, the point here is to be made crystal clear with no Jordan River bottom mud on it, that this word that brought everything into being from nothing, that created and sustains every puff of existence is in the person of Jesus. And so we have this vertical line coming down from heaven, and it intersects with us on earth, joining with us, dwelling with us in almost this cruciform pattern, which again Bach is famous for. So listen now, as the poet would say, earth is crammed with heaven. In verse 1 and, begin, and continuing through 3, 4, and 5, we hear this first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those of you who are reading along with me, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Listen to the wonder of this serene, 
beautiful voice coming down from heaven. From heaven to earth, God comes in this beautiful, vertical sensibility. But now you're going to hear the tempo quicken as we move further into this gospel text of John as well as Bach, the second voice answering in verses 6 through 10. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light. He was not the light but came to bear witness to the light, the true light that was coming into the world. Listen for this kind of sensibility of the horizontal line at this point, interrupting to make sure that we know that this is Christ who is the light of the world. So in our text, if you're following with me in verses 10 and 11, you hear this back and forthness, this sense of the cross that is going on here for clarity. For example, in verse 10, the light of Christ came into the world which he created, but the world knew him not. He came to his own home and his own people received him not. So is that all she wrote? Is that the last note? We keep listening now in verses 12 and 13. But to all who receive him, that is Christ, who is the word, who believe in his name, he gives power to become children of God. That is to say, the word creates faith where there is none. No, not by our own effort or understanding, but as a sheer gift of God's grace who claims us as his beloved children. And who is that? It's all of you who are within earshot of this gospel word for you this day. You. You are God's children. Now finally, the two voices become one in this marvelous kind of mixture that begins to crescendo. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There in verse 14. This is the heart the word joined to flesh, the first voice and the second voice joined together.
It's what this magnificent yet earth-moving text is all about, this mystery of Christ, the incarnation, God in flesh made manifest. Listen now again as the notes soar right up off the page into heaven in this kind of explosion. And then there's this almost like stardust that just gentles down and cradles us once more. Now ponder this with me. I think it's so important that we realize the importance of having two voices. The first voice that comes in this provenience of God's grace that comes to save us, but also the second voice that speaks of God's identifying with us in the flesh with this sense of interruption and this back and forth kind of counterpoint, much like interruptions in a sermon, which are good at times, with a child maybe that starts crying or a diaper needs to be changed or someone's trying to stifle a cough, because it reminds us of all this earthiness in which the divine and the human come together in Christ. What this word made flesh means. And so when the bread and wine are raised above the altar, it's very meet, right, and salutary that a child cries out, especially in the season of Christmas, this is my body, comes the voice, the word from the feeding trough of the manger, from heaven to earth come down. This is the voice that meets us here today, identifying with us, coming into our hands and enters in. But then finally, the all-important first voice comes from on high, here below, gathering us as his children, reaching out to us with pierced hands and saying, here I am, still dwelling with you. This is my body. This is my blood, given and shed for you. As Luther loved to say in the meaning of this all, where there is forgiveness of sin, there is life, and in a word, salvation. And so John the Baptist cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God approaches now along the banks of the River Jordan, and our lives as well. 
John sees him coming, and here the second voice would interrupt and say, don't be looking up high into the vast cosmos in seeking to understand God, but look simply into the manger where God has come to reveal himself to us in Christ. And so listen once more to the full-bodied beauty of it all. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. No one has ever seen God. But in Christ, God reveals God's heart to us. And in Christ, God has made him known, who still dwells among us, Emmanuel. Amen.